are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Psalm 139, 1-10 You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Hebrews four twelve through 13 For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Thank you, Erica, for reading for us. Well, I had the chance to witness something pretty special this spring. We had a chance to go on a first family road trip with our new kids who've joined us recently via adoption. And so this was going to be a big adventure for them leaving the state of Minnesota. And I'll never forget the moment when we were at our very first rest stop and our eight-year-old got out of the van, took in the scene of this gas station, and she rightly declared, this is the farthest I have ever been away from home. Toma, Wisconsin. It reminded me of the moment in the Lord of the Rings movie when Samwise Ganji is walking through the field with Frodo and he says to him, this is it. If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home that I've ever been. We live in a time when the world is still a vast place to adventure in. That can be pretty exciting. And yet it's more accessible than at any time before in history. So I could sit in my living room this week and I can text a friend in Mongolia I can be on a Zoom call with a ministry colleague in Munich, and I can Venmo money to our babysitter, all from the same spot. And yet if I venture off the grid, even in Minnesota, plenty of places where that can happen, that same cell phone that I've just used to do all that is rendered completely useless. I don't know if we've ever lived in a time when it's perhaps more tempting for you and I to think that we can take care of ourselves. But then the circumstances of life change and we realize how little control we actually have and how greatly we must depend on the Lord. I think that is what this message series is about. Where we're asking, what is God like? We're studying his attributes, not as a dead-end intellectual exercise, but so that we might know him better, we might follow him more closely, and trust him more. 
And Pastor Sonia reminded us of that 1970s musical in week number one, Godspell, where the lyrics to the song day by day say, to see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly, day by day. In other words, God desires to be known and to be worshipped for who he actually is. That's one of the key reasons why we're asking this question and would study this in Scripture. Not our best guess of who he is, or certainly not our preferred notion. Because neither a vague sense nor a man-made concoction of what God is like will be compelling, life-changing, or in the end, even of any comfort. Because it's simply not true. And our faith must correspond to truth and reality. God does not exist except for exactly who he says he is. And so that is who we desire to know. So we're making some progress now. That is, I share some prefatory remarks. We're in the end of June, so we've got some weeks under our belt. Week number one, Katie did a great recap with us as well. He's eternal. Week two, he's sovereign. Week three, last week, he's self-sufficient and triune. And now week four, he's omniscient and omnipresent. And the trouble with theology is that they come up with such big words that actually never appear in the Bible and that the Bible describes in much more beautiful terms. And so how thankful we are that we can turn to Scripture and we can find such wonderful descriptions of who God is and what he's like. And so we begin this morning in Psalm 139. And we begin with what it means that God is omniscient. As Katie said, omni means all. And so we think of words like omnitheater. It's at the Science Museum, I think, that has probably the most well-known here, where the screen fills the viewing space. Or you think of uh, kind of an old-fashioned word, omnibus. That is a bus that transported all the people, came out of France when they started public transportation. Or how about the word omnivore, somebody who eats all the foods? We run into this from time to time. Then we get to the second half and we see the word science. And together they're pronounced a little differently, omniscience. But you might remember from science class in high school that it comes from the Latin word knowledge. And so omniscience, or its adjective omniscient, means that God is all-knowing. And let's paint the picture now in Psalm 139. Verses 1 to 2, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. And can you see how I highlighted the key words that appear there? Searched, know, know, perceive. And they keep going, if you were to look in your own Bible and the verses beyond this, you would see discern, familiar, No comes again the third time. And each word and phrase is describing a different facet of God's knowledge. It's very important for us to remember that God's knowledge, when we say he is all-knowing, this isn't like textbook knowledge. Like he knows all of the information. It's not limited to that. But what it also means is that his knowledge is personal and active. And we see that in the psalm. Just look at these key words and you'll see it demonstrated. First, it says, God searches me. Well, what does that mean? We usually think of search like you're looking for something you've lost. So is God helping me find my car keys or my sunglasses? 
Well, he's probably doing that too, but that's not what's meant here. This is a farm word. This is a farm word for sift or winnow. And as you might remember, as we have immersed ourselves in Bible culture down through the years, you might remember that they'd have to toss up the wheat so that it could be separated, the wheat from the chaff before it could be used to make bread. And so David, the writer of this psalm, is saying, God, you have sifted me. You know, God, in my life, the good stuff and the chaff that is there. There is no pretending that I can do with you, God. That's what it means when he says, you have searched me. And I find that to be a comforting and terrifying thought. And it may depend on whether or not we know God's searching as being under his grace because you have trusted in Christ as your Savior or if you would know or sense his searching as judgment because you haven't. Proverbs 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. And so, where do you find yourself in this? Is the eye of the Lord, as you hear this this morning, a comforting or convicting thought? Is his searching a welcome kind of searching, like a parent may know their infant or their child? Or is it something that you would really rather avoid? What I can assure you is that David, writing this psalm, means it as a comfort, a great comfort. And keep in mind, David had plenty to cover up in his life. Plenty that could have caused him to run and cower. But he knew that this God is one who is gracious, who is bigger than any of the sin that he had in his life. He knew that God was forgiving and merciful. A God who had given him second chances and fresh starts. And as you read these lines, in a sense, what you're reading is David's doctrinal confession. David is saying in Psalm 139, this is what God is like, and it leads him to adoration. Biblical doctrine, what we're studying, is never supposed to be dry or detached, but it's meant to lead us to the Lord in praise. So that's search. Now let's go to the word know, K-N-O-W, that appears twice there in our passage. What does it mean that God knows me? Well, let's look at some of the words as we think about that question. You know me when I sit and when I rise. What time did you get up this morning? God knows. Like it doesn't even need to compute the question and the answer. Isn't that amazing? What time will you get up tomorrow? None of us knows that, and yet God does. It is really amazing. Later in the psalm, it says, All the days ordained for me, Lord, were written in your book before they ever came to be. So God knows when you sit and when you rise, when you leave for work, when you come home from school. He knows you're coming and you're going, and yet it doesn't stop there, does it? It says in verse 2, You perceive... My thoughts from afar. Isn't that something that God doesn't just know observable action. But he knows your very thoughts. Verse 4 later in the psalm reiterates it. It says, before a word is ever on my tongue, 
You, Lord, know it completely. And that's why Jesus can say in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard it said, You shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Right? Murder is the observable action. Anger is an emotion, but both are known to God. Jesus continues in that same passage. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so we see God doesn't just know our actions. He knows our thought life. And that's probably enough for us to cry out in the words of 1 Samuel 6, who can stand before the Lord, this holy God? The answer is no one except those who are covered in the righteousness of Christ. So it's time for us, as we read the psalm, to take an honest internal look and to ask ourselves simply, is my thought life corrupt? Do my emotions sometimes get the better of me? The answer is yes, but the answer is also, thanks be to God that I have a Savior in whom my sinful nature was nailed to the cross I have been raised to new life in Christ. And even as we speak now, the Holy Spirit is at work in me and you as a follower of Jesus to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. God knows you. And you can be assured that he knows where he's taking you spiritually. It's onward and upward. So you have no thing on this earth to fear. Not any of the unknowns about what happens next in your life. No condemnation. No fear of death. Nothing that would hang over you like a long shadow. God knows you through and through. So recap. God knows me by his searching. He knows me by my thoughts and actions. And one more way he knows me, and we're going to turn to Hebrews 4 now for this one. He knows me by his word. He knows me by scripture. And so we look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Verse 12 starts with, The word of God is alive and active. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I know many of you have discovered personal Bible study, personal Bible reading over the past years. And some of you, because you've come into this community here at the Y Church, And it's one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to hear people speak and look at the glint in their eyes as they tell me that they are reading the Bible for the first time and it is absolutely coming to life for them. It is the realization of this kind of verse in Hebrews that God's word is indeed active and alive. It's not like any other book. And it's a profound sense of the Bible getting me. Have you ever read in scripture and thought, this just rings so true. My thoughts and attitudes are known to the Lord, for better or for worse, and he speaks to me in this book. Verse 13, second half of that Hebrews verse. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There's an old theologian from a bygone era named E.K. Simpson who connected this from Hebrews to Psalm 139 and he said, listen to this, 
farm language. It is a sifting process that is at work. And what winnowing fan can vie with the gales of the Spirit blowing through his word? So to open the pages of Scripture is to be examined and known fully by God. F.F. F. Bruce, another old writer, says, God's word, in a sense, diagnoses the condition of the heart. His word ends up being like a doctor saying to us, well, this is the issue. This is what's making you sick. And to the one who hears its diagnosis and receives its remedy, there is great blessing. And to the one who does not, the heart remains sick. I recently got to know a man from Singapore named Lawrence. And he was telling me about his travels in interior China. Works for a global missions organization. And he was spending time one Sunday in a village church deep in the heart of China. And as the pastor was preaching, my friend Lawrence would see the pastor reference a scripture passage and somebody from church would jump up and would recite the words from memory. And then the pastor would keep teaching and would mention another verse. And somebody else would jump up and recite the verses that had just been referenced. And this carried on throughout the message, throughout the sermon. Well, Lawrence asked his host and translator later what this was all about. And the man told him that when the government was purging the church and was destroying all of these Bibles, the church took one of their few Bibles on a Sunday morning and they ripped out page after page and they distributed the pages one by one around the congregation. So when they had no more paper Bible, when the whole church was together, they had the whole Bible. Such reverence for the Word of God. The church in China knows it. And I wonder if we too will revere his word and avail ourselves to be known by him through it. With that, we're going to flip back to Psalm 139 for the finish of the message and look to God's omnipresence. That was our other key word this morning. And this one is a little easier to understand because we know the word presence and we know what it means then that God would be all present or everywhere present. And here's how David puts it in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And it was these words that inspired the famous poem of Francis Thompson, The Hound of Heaven. And I'll just share a couple of the lines with you. He wrote, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the mist of tears. And if you like classic literature, where's Grace Tiki? If you like poetry, you've got to read this whole thing. It's not too long. And it's a beautiful story of Francis Thompson's own life. He was trying to meet his parents' expectations. Any of the rest of us ever had to try to do that? Do this job, go to that school. He eventually flunked out. He became addicted to opiates. He was living homeless on the banks of the Thames River. But even there, and maybe especially there, he found David's words to be true. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee 
from your presence. That's what we mean when we say God is omnipresent. And yet this concept will test the limits of our human understanding. Like probably any of these attributes. Certainly like last week as we looked at the Trinity. Because God's omnipresence means not just that God is everywhere. But he actually does not have size or spatial dimensions to begin with. So God is not just really big like the ocean, or even as big as a galaxy? No, he cannot be quantified or measured in any way, much less contained. He's present everywhere, and yet we guard against this. It's not pantheism or like the force in Star Wars. God is distinct from his creation. God is everywhere, and yet God can act differently in different places. He can manifest or show his presence in different ways or degrees. And he can show his presence in a special way. For instance, we know that God is here. He's promised his presence to us. And yet when we die as believers, I think of our dear sister Mary. As she crossed that threshold, she came into the presence of the Lord. No waiting. She comes into his presence in heaven, and his presence there is even more full or glorious than we could ever experience it here on earth. So let's sketch this out a little bit more. Biblically speaking, God's presence shows up in three primary ways. To punish, to sustain, and to bless. And maybe the first one surprises you. Let's start there with the not-so-fun one. How God's presence shows up to punish. Because we can reject God. He will allow us that. If we want to go that way, God will allow it. And Amos 9 captures this really well when it says, this is God speaking, he says, I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. That is his presence to punish. And now contrast that with a well-known passage like Jeremiah 29, 11. Which says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to do what? Not to harm you. The second way we see God's presence is in his power to sustain. So we talked about what time you got up this morning. How about who got you up? And no, it wasn't your dog or your kid or teenagers. It was not your parents taking you to a 930 worship service. No, 9.30 can feel early. But no, it was God. He's the one who got you up and who put life and breath in your lungs and has ordained this day for you. My parents taught my sister and I a bedtime prayer when we were little. Some of you, I bet, know it as well. It was embroidered in my sister's room in this framed wall hanging. And... Now to our 21st century so-called enlightened ears, it may sound a little dark. And yet I want you to keep in mind that this prayer was written in the 18th century, around the time this country was founded, when the average life expectancy in America was 38 years old. So, contextually, our forefathers perhaps knew a little bit more about the brevity of life. And so they prayed this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. 
If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And my eyes get big. (laughs) But then it kept going. If I should live another day, I ask the Lord to guide my way. Now, I don't bring up that prayer because I'm prescribing it or saying we should all use this, but may we never presume that we have another day. Each one that we receive is a gift, an evidence of God's sustaining presence. And yet in the same breath, I will assure us of this, that as we rise to each new day, we all have needs and concerns and worries that are very real and very reasonable. Paying bills and managing a budget in an economy of inflation where gas and food prices are going up and up and up. Or how about the status of a relationship that you're in? Or navigating a relationship in your family or your extended family? Or students, kids, friendship can be tough. How about the health of our aging parents? Or the well-being of our children. Lots of things in those categories that are beyond our control. Some of you, when you think about this, what do you rise to each new day? There is navigating mental health. Or a physical illness. Or if you have enough in your retirement account to last. And the list goes on. And not to minimize any of those things that we might name but to give us a global perspective and to recognize what some other folks might be facing in other parts of the world. Our inflation right now is about 8.5%. And just for some baseline, you know, they like to have about 2%. That would be healthy, normal growth. Now I want you to imagine you live in the beautiful world-class city of Beirut where your inflation rate is over 200%. And Lebanon is not alone in inflation rates like that right now. Or I want you to imagine that you don't just read about it in the news, but you live in Ukraine where a neighbor, unprovoked, has invaded your country. And now you are in the midst of war and carnage and destruction and there is no end in sight. Or imagine that you're one of the 300,000 Christians in North Korea where if you are discovered... As a Christ follower, you will either immediately be put to death or you will be deported to a labor camp with four generations of your family. From the anxious teenager in the U.S. to the impoverished or persecuted believer somewhere else. It all matters to God. Do you know that? And the Lord has promised To sustain his children. Jesus says in Matthew 6. For your father knows what you need. Before you even ask him. And later in Matthew 10 he says. And this I think Katie brought up with us too. Remember? That starts with the sparrows. Jesus says. Yet not one sparrow will fall to the ground. Outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head. Are all numbered. So don't be afraid, he says, for are you not worth more than sparrows? Finally then, after God's presence to punish and to sustain, we'll finish here with his presence to bless. 
his presence as a place of blessing. And this is actually, compared to those other two, this is the most dominant picture in Scripture when we talk about God's presence. And I'll name just a couple examples of many we could look to, but Psalm 16 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And then we turn to the end of Scripture, that little book of Jude, right before Revelation. There's this wonderful benediction where Jude says, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, he sustains you, right? To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. There it is. The fact that God has said to you, my brothers and sisters, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That should be one of the greatest truths that has ever been proclaimed over your life. He's promised his presence to you wherever you go, whatever happens in your life. You are not alone. If you have yielded your life to Christ as Savior, then he is with you to sustain you and bless you forever. So I close with this question to you personally. Is this true? Because you can attend a church service and actually never know the presence of the Lord. And conversely, you can lay in bed so sick that you cannot even imagine of getting to church for worship, and yet your very room or your hospital room is made into a sanctuary of the highest praise as you linger in the presence of God. So let's go to him in prayer, shall we? And enjoy his presence. Lord, as we conclude our time in in study, we thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word before us today. Lord, we declare these truths, not just as principles, but as words of worship and words of prayer. You know all things, Lord, and you know us through and through. Lord, you are in every place, even stooping to be near to me. What is man that you are mindful of him? And I pray, Lord, that these things we've studied today would shape everything else about our life. We ask this for Christ's sake and in his matchless name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.